My last guest this week, certainly not least, is Andrew Beer, founder and managing member of Dynamic Beta Investments. He's also co-portfolio manager on two ETFs offered through IM Global Partner, the IMGP DBI Managed Future Strategy ETF, ticker symbol DBMF, and the IMGP DBI Hedge Strategy ETF, ticker DBEH. And Andrew is now on the line with me from New York. Andrew, great having you back on the podcast. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for having me on. All right, so look, let's uh, jump right in here. Your Managed Future Strategy ETF. In my opinion, this is one of the ETFs of the year so far, up over uh, 20%. And I think more importantly, it's helping raise some awareness around the potential benefits of owning things other than just stocks and bonds in a portfolio. So let's maybe take this in pieces. First, why don't you uh, explain the ETF itself, so what it holds, uh, the underlying investment process, et cetera. And then I do want to talk more broadly about uh, managed future strategies in a portfolio. But start by explaining the ETF. Of course. So, so you know, we have, um, I mean, if, if you had to use three words to describe what we do, and this is going to sound a little bit strange when you're talking about a, a liquid alternative ETF, um, but our, our approach is simple is better. And, you know, the, the key in hedge funds, I've been in the hedge fund industry for almost 30 years, started hedge funds and, and been focused on, on, you know, really one mission over the past nearly 15 years, which is how do you get the diversification benefits, but in a client-friendly package like an ETF. And, you know, what we do in DBMF is we just look at 20 of the largest managed futures hedge funds. These guys, you know, these are the luminaries of the industry, the guys who uh, some of them have become billionaires uh, on the back of these of of the businesses that they've built. And, you know, what we're really just trying to do is identify their trades, what they're doing. And if we can do that and copy it cheaply, um, you get this really unusual combination of being able to not just match what the hedge funds do, but actually outperform them, but in an ETF with low fees and daily liquidity. So, you know, what we're really just trying to do is bring the best of what hedge funds do to uh, a broader investor base, but in a very, very client-friendly form. In terms of identifying those hedge fund trades, talk more about the replication. Like, how are you doing that? If you can try to put this into a layman's terms. I know we can get into the quant weeds a little bit, but just high level, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I think the question about the quant weeds is really important because I think most people that I talk to really want to understand this from the perspective of, you know, I'm an REA, I'm an allocator. How do I think about this in the context of my portfolios? Um, so what we do is basically we have our own quantitative models. They are basically very, very elaborate risk management models. And, you know, if you walked into any hedge fund or investment bank even, you know, the, they, they run these risk models that are very, very good at, at determining what's driving the returns of a portfolio. If a guy walks in saying he's a small cap value investor and you run his numbers through one of these risk engines and it says he's 99% correlated, correlated to NASDAQ, you know, you've got some obvious questions to answer. The, the most sophisticated forms of it basically say, you know, we know these guys make their money in three, four, five, or six big trades at any given point in time. And what the models do, they look at really recent history, the past couple of weeks, you know, how their portfolios have been going up and down and say, you know, what's been driving it? What combination of, say, crude oil and the 10-year treasury and the Japanese yen and the S&P 500, what combination of these big markets has been driving returns? And it turns out, you know, now having done this for a very, very long time, it gives you an extremely accurate read as to how these portfolios are positioned. And then 
what it basically opens up is instead of then investing with hedge funds with high fees or investing in a lot of individual mutual funds that pursue the same kinds of strategies, you can simply just copy the positions cheaply and at the end of the day do a lot better. In terms of copying those positions, why use futures contracts? So I realize futures may be optimal for uh, some asset classes, but if you're owning, say, stocks or even some commodities, why not use ETFs, for example? So in, in the case of managed futures hedge funds, uh, which is where we're starting, um, you know, they, they invest across four asset classes, uh, commodities, equities, currencies, and rates. And the reason they're called managed futures is because futures contracts are their investment weapon of choice. And the reason is that it's, you can go seamlessly long and short, and you can do it with, with minimal friction and trading costs. So if they decide that they want to short the 10-year Treasury, the most efficient way to do it is to simply short the, the, the 10-year Treasury. And that's a way of betting on rising rates. Or if they want to buy, um, uh, get a long exposure to crude oil, they just do it through a futures contract. So, you know, so, so futures contracts are basically the most efficient way to get exposure to these big asset classes. And from a replication perspective, since they themselves are using these instruments, we simply want to use the same instruments as well. So in terms of what's driving returns right now, talk about the current positioning. What are the top holdings? And I'd be interested in hearing what do they tell you about the current market environment? So managed futures is interesting in that, in that it's not really um, – the, the whole idea in, of managed futures is that, is that we humans are very emotional and sometimes we don't respond to new information and sometimes we overreact to it. And so – uh, what managed futures funds are very good at telling you are are really some of the underlying currents in the market and really interpreting what what the funds are seeing other people do. Um, in this year, there have been three big trades. I mean, these guys through the middle of I guess through June, uh, uh, the strategies on average were up about twenty percent. Um, the ETF was up a bit more than that uh, because again, with lower fees, you tend to outperform. Um, and and it was really it was on the back of three trades. They were long oil at the right time. When oil went up, then they were short treasuries when rates were going up, and then they were long uh, the U.S. dollar against the Japanese yen when the Japanese yen was going down. It's it's not it's not you know a, a million different trades that are contributing to it, and that's always been the big truth uh, about hedge funds. When I've been asked about changes in the portfolio, it's been interesting because at the end of June, I would have said if there was one word to describe the portfolio, it was inflation, and today I would say if there's one word to describe the portfolio, it's recession. And um, so the portfolios will change over time. They're actively managed. Um, and I, I spend a lot of time trying to interpret what we're seeing and, and potentially what it means for our clients. Andrew, taking a, a step back, I have to ask you, you launched this ETF in May of 2019. And best that I can tell, this ETF never had more than about $65 million in assets prior to this year, which isn't bad. That, that's certainly a healthy foundation. But, you know, you have back-end operating costs and those sorts of things. I'm curious, was it difficult at all for you to stick with this? Because I've seen so many examples of ETFs that closed only to see the strategy work really well after that, right? Uh, some ETFs just closed too soon. And now I look at DBMF, you're off to the races here, well over $400 million in assets. Can you just talk about the, uh, the ride here? Sure. So, so we're, we're, we're incredibly different than most ETF uh, product managers in that we've only launched two, and we may or may not do a third over time. Uh, you know, my, my whole ethos, having come from the hedge fund industry, is you just don't launch products if you're not sure they're going to work. And, and I think the, you know, as, 
in the ETF world, the Ben Johnson from, from Morningstar had this great expression of the spaghetti cannon. People just shoot things against the wall and see what works. Um, when we launched DBMF, I mean, we, we thought that we had come up with the, the, the best solution for literally anybody out there who has an ETF portfolio. That, you know, when they're thinking about the 2020s, we think they're thinking about a couple different things. One is, how do I diversify out of, outside of 60-40 portfolios and not damage myself in the process, not get blown up on, on funds that don't do what they're supposed to do? And, and ultimately, what we think is people are looking to outperform a benchmark. And we think we have the best uh, the mousetrap for that. We understood that this was going to be a, a long, drawn-out education process. And that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. And, but we think ultimately what's going to happen, if you look at managed futures ETFs overall, the space is about a billion dollars in total, which is between 0.01% and 0.02% of the overall ETF world. It should be 100 times that. And so uh, we were very, very fortunate in our partners uh, who invested us in 2018. They're the ones who launched the ETFs. that we shared a common view. This is a, a, a 10-year exercise in basically fundamentally transforming how the ETF world looks at what, unfortunately, I think is called the liquid alternative space, because I don't like that term. Um, but basically, really just, just, just try to educate and talk to the 99.99% of people who have never touched this um, uh, as an asset class, yet it's an asset class that if you start thinking about diversification, it probably has more diversification bang for the buck than anything else. So we're trying to find a way to help people bring that into their portfolios. By the way, I love that stat you gave. I saw that you tweeted out a couple of weeks ago that managed futures ETFs do only account for between 0.01% and 0.02% of all ETF assets. You said that's the one statistic that gets you out of bed every morning, <laughs> which I, I love. And by the way, I, I mentioned earlier, in my opinion, I think this has to be one of the ETFs of the year so far. In, in listeners, that's not investment advice. As always, do your own homework. But, uh, Andrew, I saw Morningstar just put a fifth star on this, correct? This is now a five-star Morningstar fund? Yeah, that's, and that's, that's unprecedented in, uh, for a managed futures ETF. Um, and, you know, I think, I think like, there, there are the – we can talk a lot about the liquid alt space, but, but um, the only way that we found to consistently outperform a, a broad index of hedge funds over time is by you replicate the whole bunch of them, but you do it before fees. And, you know, just like the ethos of an S&P 500 ETF with a five basis point expense ratio just tends to do better than all those active management products through lower fees, that's, that's our, our whole ethos. And so our goal is we're incredibly proud to have gotten the fifth star, but now our next goal is we want to keep that star, um, uh, keep, keep all five stars over the next five years. Andrew, just a few minutes left here. You, you mentioned earlier focusing on education in this space and to close I'd love to have you just really crystallize the overall idea here. And the way that I'll frame this for you is obviously DBMF is performing well this year. We know that it's clearly been additive to a portfolio in 2022. But if we were to zoom out more broadly, why own a managed future strategy? Or even if you want to step back from that, why own any hedge fund type strategy? Well, I think so. I think it's pretty clear at this point that I think everybody who builds these portfolios has kind of a common goal, which is we want to deliver the best risk-adjusted returns for a client's particular risk profile. Properly implemented, um, hedge funds can be very, very valuable additions to that portfolio. Um, the liquid alts world has, has, and it's something I'll be talking a lot about more, I think 
this space is an embarrassment. I mean, it's the past 10 years, the space has done 1.6 or 1.7% per annum after maybe 200 basis points in fees. And, and I think there are, there are a lot of structural problems with that. I, I, think, I think part of the problem is that the way people talk about these products, they emphasize complexity. They want you to think that, that, that they're one guy out of 10 products that they've launched. The one product that's doing well is the one that's somehow going to continue to do well over the next five years. And, and I, think, I think in reality, for people that I talk to who are sitting on the other side of the table, they, they want to have more of a conversation with people about what it is they're trying to accomplish and, and to draw on the expertise of people who really know the hedge fund space and, and, and the usage and, and ETF version of it. How do they accomplish their objectives? And then how do they explain it to people? And I think the language around that needs to be much cleaner and simpler and has to have um, uh, tie into the way people talk to each other and the way they talk to their clients. And, and look, it's, it's, it's a long process. I learn a tremendous amount every week when I get on these calls or I do webinars um, uh, with people. But I think, I think ultimately it's, it's, it's not about building the coolest whiz-bang products. It's about solving problems for people on the other side of the table. And that's, that's really always been our ethos uh, since we got into this space. A hundred percent. And I thought you did a fantastic job with the language this week, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think this space just needs to be made much more approachable to the average advisor, average investor out there. And that always starts with education. But Andrew, great to reconnect. Congratulations on the success of DBMF so far this year. And best of luck to you moving forward. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Nate. It's great to be on. That was Andrew Beer, founder and managing member of Dynamic Beta Investments.